I felt like the Lord laid on my heart several months leading up to becoming the senior pastor that I was to do a series called DNA. And so that's the series that we've been in. And, and I knew that one of the subjects was going to be uh, missions and evangelism because that is a part of the DNA. That should be the part of the DNA of any church, right? If you, if you don't support missions and you're not a missional evangelistic church, then you miss the point of the gospel. And so I knew that I could get up and I could preach a passionate message about what the church is called to do for, in missions and evangelism. But I felt like it would be very important to be a neat opportunity for us to take somebody who has given their life to missions. Jacob Noel, at 17, 18 years old, would take two months every summer for four or five years to go to El Salvador as an as a intern uh, with King's Castle. And, and then he went at 23 years old full-time, to go, I believe if that's correct, 23 years old, full-time, to go as a full-time missionary to El Salvador. And he, would, he was a youth pastor while he was there. And, and then God sent him back home after a couple of years or so, and he met Amanda, and they got married. And then they went back as a married couple to El Salvador, full-time missionaries and youth pastors. And so, so he has a heart for missions. And, and, and then while they were there, they took a little journey. And I don't know if he's going to be sharing some of this in his message, but the Lord called him to medical missions. And the Lord asked him to go to medical school and become a medical doctor. And so Jacob is now a doctor. He just finished medical school. And so not only do you get to hear from a missionary this morning and a, and a pastor this morning, but you get to hear from Dr. Noel this morning. Dr. Noel. And so I'm, I'm excited about it. This is going to be an amazing message and, and, and on another note, I was talking to him before service. I don't know if, any, if some people would have really realized that it wasn't me preaching. If I get Jacob to come up. And somebody told me pre-service that this was my stunt double. <laughs> Look at this. So, Look at this. It's pretty, it's pretty close here, right? What do you think? So, welcome, Jacob Noel. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. I, I am so honored and excited to be here and to share with you what God has put on my heart, uh, what an awesome journey it has been to look at the DNA of our church. I mean, is that right? It has been awesome. It's been exciting. And, and I don't know about you, but in my heart, I feel stirred. Have you been feeling a stirring in your heart as you go home and as you pray and as you read the scriptures? Aren't you excited about what God is doing in our church? I mean, for real, this is awesome. And I cannot wait. I'm so glad that I get to be a part of it. And I'm so glad you get to be a part of it. And we're all a part of what God is doing. So today we're going to talk about the DNA of missions and evangelism. And I had to fight really hard not to go into the intricate structure of DNA and talk about all of that stuff from a medical perspective. Um, Don't worry, I'm not going to do it. I can see like the teenagers are already starting to fall asleep. Um, But in reality, what does DNA do? See, one of the most beautiful things about DNA is it replicates. That's what makes DNA so incredible. To be honest, when you look at the cellular machinery, I'm not going to go into it. When you look at the cellular machinery necessary for DNA replication, it is one of the things in my mind that says there must be. Be an incredible God behind this creation. Man, it's amazing. And do you know what? 
DNA replicates. And I believe we as believers in Jesus Christ are called to replicate. We're called to share the gospel everywhere we go. But before we get into all that, I want to share a little story with you. Uh, When I was younger, uh, here at Living Word Church, we had a very interesting program called Royal Rangers. Does anybody remember the Royal Rangers program? There we go. That's what I'm talking about right there. See, uh, a lot of the men in the church uh, got together and decided that they were going to pour their lives into the young men and the, the boys of our church. And so Commander Leverance, Commander Troy, Commander Clyde, and a whole bunch of other commanders, that's what we called them all, got together and they would take us on campouts. I remember one time we went to, uh, Brother Brim had a, a place where he used to work and they had all these alligators. I, I don't really remember what place it was. But we went to this camp out and it was a place filled with alligators and it was out in the middle of nowhere. It was probably like 15 minutes down the road. But in my mind, it was in the middle of nowhere. You know, I thought I was surviving, you know. And, um, and they taught us all sorts of things, how to tie knots and how to, you know, uh, do first aid, how to take care of, of guns and make sure you didn't hurt anybody with your gun and uh, how to tie lots of knots in case you ever needed to tie knots. Um, you never know. Um, be honest, in medical school, I needed to learn how to tie some knots. I'm glad I had my Royal Ranger training. Um, but one of the things that I excelled at was um, I won the blue ribbon, get this, get this, in gun safety. Now, if you know me, you know that's pretty funny. My father-in-law is probably in the back laughing. Um, But in reality, you know, I won the blue ribbon. I was very proud of that. Um, So I want to tell you what happened after that. I don't think I ever told Commander Leverance this. Um, But a few months later, we were at a... Our our family has a camp in Mississippi. It's like an outdoor place. And we we were... I was outside playing with my BB gun... You know, that guy. And um, I was a gun safety expert at the time. And my parents were inside the cabin or whatever it was at the time. And um, I was shooting the gun. And they knew that they could let me do that because I had taken formal training in gun safety. You know where this is going. (laughs) So I shot the BB gun. And then I heard it. You never want to hear that noise when you're shooting a BB gun. My heart began to beat. And there it was in front of me. The van window. Safety glass everywhere. And I remember the moment of terror that washed over my nine-year-old self. And I think I just ran for the, the back. Like I just took off with all my might and just... And just tears streaming down my nine-year-old face. Oh my goodness, my blue ribbon was worthless. I have shot the van window out. And then I learned something so powerful about the heart of a father. My, My father, who I call Pop, my Pop came to me. And he picked me up. And he wiped the tears off my face. And he gave me a huge hug. Because you see, he knew they didn't shoot the van window out on purpose. 
He knew that my heart was broken. And his express purpose in that interaction was to restore me and to make me whole. And I learned what it, what it was like to be restored. Do my little one. I, one of my favorite things about being a father. I have a little. I have two awesome little boys. One's named Elijah. You've probably seen him. He, he runs around over here during worship time. But my favorite thing about being a father is being able to restore my children's hearts. And Elijah, my oldest, Isaiah's my youngest. Elijah, my oldest, about three or four nights ago, came over to me. Uh, he was going to bed, and he had this little bracelet that he got. It was a glow-in-the-dark bracelet. It looked like a Livestrong bracelet or something. He got from somebody in Papua New Guinea when we were serving there. And, uh, you know, he's always playing with it. He was impressed that it glows in the dark. I was impressed that it glows in the dark. It's impressive. Um, but I always told him, Elijah, don't pull on that bracelet. It could break. And so my dad and I were actually practicing our putting in the living room after the boys went to bed. Because we do that sometimes. And um, all of a sudden we hear it. Absolute sheer terror. Just wails coming from the bedroom. And Elijah, my oldest son, walked in front and he said, It broke! My bracelet broke! And in that moment, I picked him up. And I gave him a huge hug. And then, for the next hour, my pop and I tried to figure out how to put this bracelet back together. <laughs> I mean, we tried everything. First, we tried duct tape, or clear, clear masking tape, unsuccessful. Then we tried Gorilla Tape, because that works for everything. Also unsuccessful, because silicone is slippery, and nothing sticks to it. And then we tried, I can't remember, what, oh, I tried to burn it and melt the ends together. Painful, but didn't work. Um, finally, I grabbed a suture that I had upstairs, and I literally sutured his bracelet back together. But the point of all of that is not that an entire medical school education is most useful to suture bracelets. It is that... The heart of a father to restore his children is something that God has placed in us. We live in a society where maybe that's not the case. Maybe that's not what you think of when you think of a father. But in reality, that is who God is. He is a God who restores. And I want us to look at a scripture today as we talk about evangelism and missions. We cannot talk about those things if we do not understand the heartbeat behind evangelism and missions. And that heartbeat is God crying out for people who are crying out for him and putting that love into action by restoring their hearts. This is what the Bible says in Psalms 130. I look at this psalm and I see the heart of a person who is longing for God. We've either all been at a place in Psalms 130 or you are there now. You've either been to the place where you needed to be restored by God or you are there today. And this is what it says. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. How many of you have been in the depths? Have you been there? I've been there. And then it says, Lord, hear my voice. Just hear me. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Mercy. 
Man, how many times have I needed God's mercy in my life? If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than a watchman waits for the morning. Anybody ever work the night shift? I work the night shift. I know how it feels when you're exhausted and tired and waiting for the morning to come. That's how we feel when we desire the restoring power of God in our life. Am I not right? Isn't that true? Oh, for the the watchman waiting for the morning. God, there's nothing more that I want than for you to restore me. And we live in a world that says, well, you can earn your way to God or you can be good enough. But that is not what the scripture says. Let's see what the scripture says. Let's continue. Verse 7, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is what? Unfailing love. And in him, there is full redemption. Not, well, I told you not to shoot the BB gun because you'd hit the window. I told you not to pull on your bracelet because it would break. Full, complete redemption. That is who Jesus Christ is. That is what God offers us. And then verse 8, I love verse 8. He himself will redeem Israel From all their sins. God is not going to wait for someone else to do it. He himself. The very heart of a father. Willing to invest in others. I want us to look at what it means to be redeemed. What does the word redemption mean? Redeem means to redeem. Obviously. To deliver. To rescue. And then this is my favorite version. To allow oneself to be ransomed. Is that not a picture of what God did for us? Jesus was the ransom for us. Thousands of years before he ever stepped foot on the earth. It was prophesied in Psalm 130 that God would come. If you're having trouble with faith today. If you say I don't know if that Bible is true. If I don't, I don't know if Jesus was really the answer. It was written thousands of years before it happened. That God himself would redeem his people. No one could have invented that story. God wrote that story. He wrote eternity in our hearts and he wrote that story for us. Isn't that awesome? Now I want to juxtapose or put together that scripture with what we see in the New Testament. And we're going to talk about missions. Let's look at what Romans says. Romans chapter 10. What does it say? The word, is in you, uh, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning, concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now there's that salvation, that redemption we began to talk about earlier. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference. This is key. This is key. This is the link between Psalms 130 and Romans 10. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Thank God for that. 
The same Lord is Lord of us all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, the salvation spoken forth in Psalms 130 comes to fruition in Romans chapter 10. You see, what started out as God's salvation for the people of Israel becomes my salvation, becomes your salvation through Jesus Christ. Isn't it awesome that the word of God is alive and active active and woven together from Old Testament to New Testament? Sometimes we could read the scripture and say, oh, well, I'm a New Testament Christian. The New Testament is applicable to me. No, no, the whole thing is woven together, Old Testament and New. And this is the glue that holds it together. It's awesome. Now, we know that that is true. We know that God's salvation is incredible. That is the DNA of our church. When we come together, we celebrate the fact that we are saved and called and active and alive in Christ. When we talk about spiritual growth, we grow together to proclaim the gospel message. We we come together and explore the importance of God's word. And together we come to worship. That's what we've talked about in the weeks leading up to this sermon. But the natural outflow of every one of those things, the natural next step, if you're spiritually mature, the natural next step, if you read the scriptures and allow it to permeate into your heart, is to begin to speak out to your community, to the nations, to the world, that Jesus Christ is alive and active. Are you with me? Do you see that that's the very next thing? There's no other option. If you are growing in Christ, it's going to fly out of you. You won't be able to hold it in. This is what they say in Romans 10, 14. The very next verse after we talk about salvation, it says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? It's not possible. Can't do it. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? That is as written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You see, the gospel is necessary. Because as in Psalms 130, there are people everywhere crying out. As a watchman waits for the morning, they're crying out for God's spirit in their life. But they cannot know unless they hear the gospel. Do you follow the progression Are we walking together? Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your hands right in front of you. I want you to look at your hands. Look at them. These are the hands that are called to minister the gospel to a hurting world. These hands. Your hands. Every single person in this room that calls Jesus Christ Lord, that is growing in his spirit, is called by the name of Jesus Christ to preach the gospel to the nations and to our community. It's not optional. It's not a maybe they will. And you know what? It's not just that it's an obligation. It's an invitation to be part of the incredible story of God. Then other religions in the world say, you can work your way to being in right standing with God. But God invites us in and says, listen, I want you to begin to restore humanity to me. Do you know how awesome it is 
as a father to run to my little one, kneel down, pick him up, and hold him, and watch his cry turn to a smile. It is the most incredible thing that I can imagine. Have you been there? But you see, it's so much greater when the matter is of eternal significance. Oh man, oh man, that we are invited to participate in something that matters, that our lives don't just have to pass by. That's exciting stuff. That's exciting that God has called us to do things for his kingdom. Look at what 2 Corinthians 5.17 that uh, Pastor Ben brought up a couple of weeks ago. We, we read this scripture in church and, and, and I, I love this scripture. It says, now if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. Thank God for that, right? Come on. For real? For real? I don't want to be who I was. I want God in me alive and good because there's nothing good in here without him. Can, is that true? Come on, for real. Thank God I don't have to be perfect. All right, sorry. Um, all this is from... Now, here's the cool part. The next few verses are astounding. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us what? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Man, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Whoa. We don't have to sit on the sidelines. We don't have to wish that we were in the game. I don't have to watch it on global ESPN, celestial ESPN. I can be in the game. Like God has called me to be a minister of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I love this verse. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I implore you as a church, Let us not waste the righteousness of God. He has called us to be deliverers. He's called us to reconcile a world unto him. And guess what? Through his power, all things are possible. Through Christ in me, the hope of glory in the world, we can make a difference. In the light of eternity. I love it. I love it. First Peter 2, 9 and 10. It says, but you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. Why are we holy? Because we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Come on. That's exciting. God's special possession. Watch out. I am his child. With my bracelet breaks, he's coming to give me a hug. When I shoot the window out of the van, because I did things that I didn't expect, man, he's there to restore me. That's God because I'm his special possession. You are too. Come on, next time you're feeling aggravated, lonely, tired, 
God, does my life matter? You are his special possession. Come on, wake up in the morning and tell yourself, I am God's special possession. That will change your outlook on life. Well, you know, I didn't really get what I wanted to do at work and I didn't get the promotion. I got passed over. I didn't really get a good grade on that test. Been there. But I'm God's special possession. And he sees me differently than the rest of the world sees me. He sees my circumstance different than I see it. Sorry, that's a different message. We're just going to get back to this one. Um, we are his special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into light. I'm not who I was. Once you were, a pe- were not a people, but now... You are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Look at the person next to you. Tell them, I'm a priest of the Lord. You are a royal priesthood. Oh, come on. That's good stuff. So I want you to understand this. The DNA. The DNA of Living Word Church. The DNA of missions and evangelism at Living Word Church. This is key. If if you are asleep the rest of the time... I want you to hear this. Everybody look at me. This is important. I want you to walk out the doors knowing this. The DNA of Living Word Church in evangelism and missions is that we are a church of over a thousand ministers. We are a church of over a thousand ministers. We're not a staff of 15 people that are ministers and everybody else is in the congregation. We are a church of over a thousand ministers equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit to make a difference in the world that we live in. Come on. Come on. We can do it through Christ. You're a special possession. Yeah, the the things that have been burning in your heart, they're not burning in everybody's heart. They're burning in your heart. They're birthed in you. Because God has made you such. Okay. All right. So, I get it. When we stop and say, God, okay, I'm in, Jacob, I'm in. But, but me? I don't know what to do. Okay, that, that's valid. That is very valid. It is one thing to be a theoretical minister of God, and a very different thing to be an actual minister of God. But you are not theoretical, you are actual. Just pinch yourself, you know. You're here. God did not mean you to be a theoretical Christian. And by that I mean, to be like, well, okay, I know that the Bible says I am, but I'm not going to do anything about it because it's easier not to. That's true. It's also easier not to. You could live a cushy life. Is that bad? Or you could live, let's call it comfortable. You could live a, live a very comfortable life and be spiritually dead. That is your option. Or... You could be God's special possession and walk in the power and might of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's what, that's the option we have. And this is what the Bible says. Well, we'll get to there in a minute. How do I do that? It's not very simple. It's not. I wish I could see it. It's very simple. You just do this and boom, you're a minister of the gospel. It's not simple. It takes a life change. See, how many of you would love to do something you've never done before for the cause of Christ? Anybody? Okay. Gotcha. 
In order to do something you've never done, this is profound, by the way, very profound. In order to do something that you've never done, you have to do something that you've never done. Right? That's just where we are in life. It's profound, I know, I know. But I'm going to tell you where it starts. It starts in John 15. And I could preach an entire series off of John 15. But this is what John 15 says. John 15, 5. It says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. That's the key. You want to have an effective Christian life? The first thing you have to do is abide in Christ. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Has your life been unsuccessful? Have you been abiding in Christ? That's the question. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you. I love that goes back to the love that we have for Scripture, the DNA of our church to be a Bible-believing church. Hmm. That his words would remain in me. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, here's what happened, because we're going to pause right there, because that could go off into the crazy world, crazy theology. That's not what we're talking about. I'm not like, whew, I've been spending some time with the Lord. Lamborghini? No. No, 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 no. When you begin to abide in Jesus Christ, when his words begin to live in you, your desires will take a major shift. The things that you think about begin to change. When you close your eyes, what you see begins to be different. See, when, when your worldview becomes all about Jesus Christ and reconciling the world to him, when you close your eyes, you begin to see people and, and, and lives that don't know Christ. And you begin to wake up in the middle of the night and pray for them. And the Holy Spirit begins to put different desires in your mind and in your heart. And that's why the Bible can say, pray and ask whatever you wish, because the wishes of God become the wishes of man. This is to my Father's glory, verse 8, that you will bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Whoa. The blessing of God that you hear about in scriptures when you read about God's blessing is the very fact that I can remain in his love and his love can remain in me. Because no matter what, his love is constant. It doesn't matter if I, if I do wrong and make a mistake. If my heart is to follow him, he will restore it doesn't matter if you've gone off track. God will restore you. Now, I'm not saying continue to go off track. Because again, abide in him and he will guard your heart and mind. Know the scripture so you're not doing crazy on your own. Abide in him. You are a minister of reconciliation to the world. Okay, Jacob, how do I do it? 
abiding in Christ, plus love for God and for those around us, plus a proclamation of the gospel equals effective ministry. That's it. There's no more. There's no, that's what it is. If you abide in Christ, his spirit abides in you. You love the people around you and you present the gospel in love. You will have an effective life in, in Christ. I love it. I love it. I want to talk a little bit about some other things that we can do. Evangelism, we'll put the definition up here, is the proclamation of the gospel everywhere that we go. Look, every single person in this room is called to a life of evangelism. If you are not replicating yourself, if your DNA does not replicate, I would wonder what kind of DNA you have. It's very simple. It's called dead. That's what it is. If the DNA does not replicate, if the cell ceases to replicate, it's a dead cell. I'm not going biological. I'm just being honest. That, that's, that's the truth. All right. So what can we do? I love what Stephen said. That God specializes in the impossible. Come on. If that didn't wake you up out of your seat, I don't know what did. That's good stuff. I love what he said at the end of his talk. That God is birthing things in people's heart. I brought my mission box. Or evangelism box. We'll call it that. Some of the most effective tools for ministry are in this box. Look, here's a Bible. See? It's very effective. You've got to have the word in your heart. Otherwise, you're just living life. It's not evangelism if this is not involved. So that's the key. Are we with me? All right. Yeah. After last week when Ben asked how many people, uh, Pastor Ben asked how many people were going to watch the Masters and only like 10 people raised their hand, I knew we had some evangelism we had to do. <laughs> it's necessary. <laughs> Everything we do in life, whether it's playing golf on a golf course, shooting a basket in a hoop, what a, a, a ball into a basket. Yeah, that. You're playing basketball. Shooting a basket in a hoop? What does that mean? I don't know. I'm just going to keep going. But in reality, whatever you do, it can matter for the cause of Christ. Look what Colossians says. Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, do with all your heart unto the Lord. You know who one of my favorite characters in the Bible is? There's a guy in the Bible in the Old Testament called Nimrod. I know. What a great name. Uh, but it's in the middle of a genealogy, and it goes through blah, 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 and somebody begot Nimrod, who was a mighty hunter in the Lord's sight. This is where all the hunters say amen. Um, but Nimrod, it says, became his name, he was so skilled at being a hunter that he became proverbial throughout the, the, the nations. And when someone said his name, it was like, oh, that you would be a mighty hunter in the Lord's sight like Nimrod. Okay, I'm not saying be a Nimrod, but when you go out there, whatever you do, you can do it under the Lord. Whether it's golf or fishing. Look, I got my little fishing pole. Isn't that cute? This is Elijah's. Man, he can cast it out in our backyard. It's great. It's beautiful. 
Whatever is in our heart and in our hand. I like this one. This is one of my favorites. This is a shoebox. Because if you're selling shoes or oil field parts or whatever it is that people sell, you're forming relationships with people next to you. And let me tell you something. There are people in our church who have made the kingdoms of darkness cry out in fear because every time they meet with somebody, they're sharing the gospel. It's just reality. It doesn't matter what you do. Do it under the Lord. This is my personal favorite. I don't have my stethoscope. I only have, I only have Amanda's. That's why it's, uh, it's pink. Mine got lost in the ER. I practiced for like two months with this. Every patient I went into, I was like, this is my wife's. Um, but anyway, this is my stethoscope. My wife's stethoscope. Well, while we were in Papua New Guinea, I had the privilege and honor to work next to a man named Dr. Bill McCoy. Dr. Bill McCoy is a hero in the faith. You've probably never heard of him. But man, he is incredible. 30 years on the mission field. 15 years in, in Swaziland. 25 years in Papua New Guinea. All for the cause of Christ. I want to tell you a quote that he said. Dr. Bill McCoy says, Every time I see a patient, I have a congregation of one. Let that sink in. Every time you're on a business call, Every time you see a a patient, every time you, you throw that rod into the water with a friend, every time that you do anything that involves another human being, you have a congregation of one. To do something you've never done, you have to do something you've never done. I just, it's, it's amazing. So that's my box of evangelism now we have incredible pastors here pastor Vern is our outreach pastor and he organizes him and miss tina get together they organize outreach events to minister to our community but my call is not that you would flood them just waiting for them to do something because a thousand of us showing up to one event will have an impact but a thousand of us showing up to a thousand different events will be totally impacting our city. Do you feel me? Are you with me? We are a church of over a thousand ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just want to tell you, um, not only are we called to evangelize, but we are called to be deliverers unto the nations. Look at this statistic. This is Homa. Look at this statistic. 66% of the population of Homa identifies themselves as religious. Now, religious can mean a lot of things. That's not 66% attend church somewhere. That's 66% identify themselves as religious. That means we've got a ton of work to do. There are people everywhere you go in our own city that need the gospel of Jesus Christ desperately. And so we will be called. We are called it is to make a difference in our community. And now I want us to look at, the, at the, the global mission of Christ. Look at these statistics. 
There are 16,971 people groups in the world. That's ethno-linguistic groups, not nations. 7,000 of them are unreached. The percent is 41.5% of people groups are unreached for the gospel. Now what unreached means is that they have a professing Christian population of less than 5%. Click to the next slide. Let's look at it populationally. Pop, is that, I don't know if that's a word. But we're going to look at, look at it from a population standpoint. There are 7.48 billion people in the world. There are 3.15 billion people that are unreached. That's staggering. The hope that you have, the life that you have, the joy that we have in Christ. What gets me out of bed in the morning has never even crossed their ears. 42.1% of all people on the planet have less than 5% Christian influence. Click to the next slide. 51.4% of that number is what is called a frontier people group. 21.6% of the world's population, it's 1.6 billion people, have a Christian influence of less than 0.1%. It's functionally non-existent. The gospel is important. Brother Don Triplett, who I worked with in El Salvador, often quoted his father, Lauren Triplett, and said, if Jesus died for everyone, then everyone must know. We are called to the ministry of reconciliation in our city, in our nation, and in our world. But I have some good news. Really good news. How long do you think it would take to share the gospel with the entire world? Well, let me just tell you this. If two people, let's say me and Ben, I'm a stunt double anyway, started sharing the gospel, and we start, and we share the gospel with two other people, And they get saved, and then they say, this is important. Then all four of us go and share the gospel. And then the next day, 16 people go out and share the gospel. And we continue that way exponentially. The entire population, in fact, more than the entire population of the world, 8 billion people would hear the gospel in a grand total of 32 days. Yeah, the math really works. The Bible says, pray for the coming of the Lord. But he will not come until everyone has heard. So it's time to move. Church of a thousand ministers, it's time to move. Amen. And I love missions. I love what God is doing in our church. I want to tell you about my story. When I was a little boy, I stood at a, at, a, um, at a bus station in Singapore. We were living there. 
And as a little boy does, I just kind of rushed my chin up on the, the railing. And I looked over and I saw people walking underneath. And I remember seeing two Muslim women walking by. And the Holy Spirit gripped my heart. I was eight years old. And I realized that those women would live their entire life and never know God. Why would they? They were faithful Muslim women. Why would they ever know about the story of Jesus? And I crushed my heart. And I looked at my mom. I said, Mom, who's going to tell them? And she looked at me and she said, Well, Jacob, that's why we have missionaries. And I don't think my life ever has been the same. Some of you today, that's in your heart and you can barely breathe. Because God is calling you to the nations. Some of you, you can barely breathe because God is putting a dream in your heart for this city. But there are people all over the room right now and you can barely breathe because God is saying, now my son, now my daughter is the time for you to become active. Because it matters that much. Because the ministry of reconciling people to God is so important. It just matters. Man, we've got some incredible opportunities in our church. We can, you want to be involved in missions? We would love to see you work in missions. You can go on a short-term trip. You can go on a long-term trip. You can go forever. And we'll help you get it set up. But it starts with a heart that says, Yes, God. We sang the song, Lord, wherever you send me, I'll go. And I sang that song when I was 16 years old. I didn't know where it was going to take me. Candace sang that song when she was 16, 17 years old. She didn't know she was going to end up in Honduras or Central America. Jolie LaFont didn't know she was going to end up in India. We've had missionaries go all over the world. Why? Not because of a song, not because of a church, but because of a heart attitude that says, God, I'm in. I'm in, and I'll minister the gospel. Stand to your feet, church. Let's pray. Father, you are good. The restoring power of the gospel in our lives matters, and we are so grateful. God, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Right now, begin to drop vision and dream and hope and excitement in the people of Jesus Christ at Living Word Church. That our DNA would begin to explode. That our hearts would begin to move in the passion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we will no longer stay on the sidelines. But we will say, God, here I am. Send me. Here I am. Send me. Here's what I want us to do, church. Because I believe that we are a church of over a thousand ministers. We couldn't all fit at the altar. And I'm so excited about that. So here's what I want us to do. If that's you, if you're like, God, I'm in. 100%. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. 
want you to raise your hands. I want you to raise your hands. Take a step and say, Jesus, I'm in. Jesus, wherever. Jesus, whenever. Jesus, however. I want to abide in you. I want to love the world around me. And I want to serve. Thank you, Father. I surrender to you. Harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. I give you all that I am for eternity. Here I am, Lord. Sing it with us. And I will go anywhere that you want me to go. Spread the joy and the peace that I've come to know. You are my everything. I'm resurrected and free. Here I am, Lord, send me. You know what, church? First time I sang that song, the Lord sent me somewhere very unexpected. I was like, God, send me to the nations. And he sent me to Vanderbilt Catholic High School. And you know what? I'd have rather gone to the nations. I'm not lying. Because we don't get to choose where God sends us. We don't get to go where we want to go when our heart is open because God sees the whole picture. He knows your gift sings better than you do. Let's go. Let's reach our world. Amen.